Good morning. My name is Bruce O'Neill, and I'm the pastor, and I'm explaining that text. But I do want to invite you on May 11th to a special uh, celebration where, through music, the gospel will be presented to us through all of the many choirs uh, that our church has, from very small uh, children all the way through the adults. So I do want to invite you uh, to come back next Saturday at 6.30 into the sanctuary to hear the gospel uh, presented to us through music. And so if you uh, are able and, and uh, would delight to be here, we'd love to have you. The other one, is, uh, kind of a commercial before I get to the, the message, is that uh, for the last couple of years, I've been writing message summaries, kind of a small uh, synopsis of the message and, and distributing it on Fridays to a, a, a lot of people. But because I was managing that myself, uh, a number of you that had signed up for that got knocked off. And so, uh, rightly so, uh, people more um, technologically advanced than I have taken over the distribution list. If you have signed up for that but have not been getting it in the last few weeks, if you will use this text number to uh, give us your email again, we'll make sure you get on the list. If you would like that summary, you've never gotten it, but you would like it, you can also use this number, uh, just text. I mean, it, even as you sit here, you can text it, and, and uh, the folks in the office will add you to that distribution list that, so that on Fridays uh, you can get the summary of the message ahead of time. That's not an excuse not to come on Sunday, just in case you were wondering... You know, you, as you, you kind of come to this text, the theme of the text is reconciliation. And so one of the things that come to mind is just how many people here on earth um, don't talk to each other. You know, either uh, maybe you're like this, you've got one or two people that have really hurt you, offended you, and and you just don't desire to see or hear from them. Or, or maybe you're the other way. You're the offender and somebody has decided the way to punish you was to simply ignore you, uh, to not see your existence. The sad thing, I think, in the face of this text is just how many people on this planet live that way with regards to God. Just how many people don't want to hear or see from him or think that the other end, that he doesn't want to see or hear from them. Romans 5 gives us the reconciliation to end all reconciliations. That it is literally possible a way back to have peace with God. That's what that word reconcile means. To be okay, to be healthy, to be whole again. So Paul is describing here, listen to verse 1 again, and it was read to you just a minute ago by A. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he, he tells us that this justification, this right standing with God, this peace with God is the Christian's hope. And therefore, he calls us in verse 2 to what? Rejoice in that hope that we are now at peace with God because at one point we weren't. In fact, the way that Paul describes us here in this chapter is that we were enemies. 
Listen uh, to verses three through five as he, he talks about this hope that even suffering, even the broken things, broken relationships, broken places, uh, broken things produce hope. Listen, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through Jesus Christ who has been given to us. And so why are we to rejoice? I mean, that's the command that we get in this passage is we are to, of all people on the face of the planet, rejoice. Why? Because we are reconciled with God. The word that he uses over and over again in chapter four that's tied to chapter five is that we are justified. We are right with him, which implies that we were wrong with him. We were out of sorts. We were broken and he has straightened the broken stick or he has healed the wound. Let me give you a a, a sentence to get your mind around the Christian's hope. And And listen to the tense. The Christian's hope is this, the future verdict at the final judgment is based securely on the finished work of Jesus Christ in the past and is applied by the Holy Spirit to believers when? In the present. And you say, well, Bruce, where do you get that? Listen to to verses six through nine and listen to the tenses that Paul uses here. Paul says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ what? Died for the ungodly, past tense something that happened in the past. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us, past tense. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, present tense, much more shall we be saved, future tense, by him from the wrath of God. This is, this is Paul understanding of salvation, we tend to speak of our Christian hope either in the past or the present, or maybe even in the future, but primarily in the past and the present. Somebody says, are you a Christian? Are you saved? You would say, yes, I remember a time where I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and now I do. And it was marked out by maybe a prayer or, or a presentation of the gospel in a way that you had never registered in your mind. We tend to talk about our salvation as a past event. Sometimes we talk about it as a present event. I am saved. Because of what happened then, I am. And sometimes when somebody asks you, what's going to happen to you when you die? You say, what? I'm going to heaven. You're talking about a future and sometimes we, we use those like that, but Paul intends for us to understand they're all connected. Because Paul, Paul understands that God is the Alpha and the Omega. The, that's the Bible language of G, uh, God right now is in the past and he's in the present and he's every point in between all at the same time. It's what theologians call the omnipresence of God. The all-present God that is in the moment of the past, in the moment of the future, and every moment in between, all at the same time. And so what, what Paul's trying to get us to understand about the Christian hope is this. That the future judgment day where everyone stands accountable to God, for those that are in Christ Jesus, for those for whom Jesus died on the cross in the past, that verdict has already been issued. 
now, in the present. And so one way Paul often speaks of salvation is he uses the past, present, and future tense, sometimes within the same sentence, like he does here. Because he wants you to understand that the Christian hope isn't just pie in the sky, hoping one day it all works out, or to a past event that somehow we don't seem to have any connection to. He wants you to understand that because God operates out of time and space, that he can render a future judgment because of something that happens in the past and apply it to us in the present all at the same time. And that's why he says, you can rejoice. All done. All done from his perspective, what Jesus did in the past, what is ultimately gonna stand for us in the future and judgment is applied into the present through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, that's the hard thing. Because what I want to talk to you about in chapter five is the easy thing. If the hard thing is to render a judgment in the future based on something that happened in the past and apply it to the present, if that's the hard thing, the easy thing is to make you whole. Listen, is verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... Much more, that's Paul speak. Here comes the easy part. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Reconciliation is the hard thing because it required the death of his son. The easy thing is now to conform us to that image, to give us this new life in the present. That's why Paul says again for the second time, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received what? Reconciliation, verse 11. Paul then, now, now that he's gotten us to understand what the Christian hope is, he's going to give us the big picture. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. We're so detail-oriented, we get so uh, caught up in the details that we miss that there's a big picture here. And I, my favorite history classes was uh, when uh, the professor could give you the big picture of the sweeping movements so you didn't get lost in all the people, places, and things, all the dates, all the reigns, all of the armies. If somebody could come in and say, well, here's the movement of history, at, a, at the 30,000 foot, then all everything makes sense. That's what Paul's getting ready to do. He just dove deep into our justification, how we are made right with God, how we have peace with God. Now he's gonna pull back and, and give us the 30,000 foot level view of what God's been doing in the world. And he's, he's gonna use only two points to do it. And he's gonna juxtapose them. He's gonna, he's gonna set them against each other. And he's gonna say, there's a rain of death that came into the world because of sin. And there's a reign of grace that has come into the world because Jesus died. And the reign of death, though it is present in all of our lives, the reign of grace has been initiated and is on the move, advancing and will one day replace the reign of death. The reign of death death has an expiration date. And the reign of grace has a consummation date. When it comes into its fullness, it will replace 
sin and death. Paul's 30,000 foot view. So let's just take a moment here and go a little deeper. If you want to know the, 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 the key verse for chapter five, it's in verse 17, where he brings these two reigns together. And he says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, the much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. One of the ways that Paul describes that, he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. We tend to, to drive that down into the individual life. That where you struggle, where, where we sin, then grace covers that. And that's true, but that's not Paul's point here. That's not the context. Sometimes we miss the point because we avoid the context. Paul's point is 30,000 foot movement. Where the reign of sin and death has been, grace is more. Because if grace isn't more, then sin and death will win. If grace isn't overwhelming, if the shock and awe of grace doesn't overpower sin and death, then we have no Christian hope. Then this is all that there is. And then when Ed Rogers died, Ed Rogers died. And so let's go a little deeper in these two reigns because he's juxtaposed them. And he says, the reign of death is caused by something. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through what? One man. And death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. What's he, what's he telling us? What's he saying to us? He's saying that sin came into the world through one man, Adam. When, when Moses has the two million Jews that are in the wilderness where he's led them out of captivity. Back when we were in, the, in our study of Exodus, he's got them out there and he's explaining to them how we got here. They've lost most of the stories of their heritage and their history and, and what's going on in the world. And so Moses, through the first five books, is explaining their story to them, particularly Genesis. He says, let me tell you, in the beginning, because that's what Genesis means, in the beginning, God created everything. He first created the expanse, what we call the the sky, the air. And and he fills it with birds. And and then he he creates the waters and and he separates the waters and he he puts fish in the waters. And then he, he makes land and he puts what? Animals on the land. And each time he does one of those things, he says it's good. And that's a moral judgment not just it's good in beauty because it is that as well. But he's making a moral judgment. It is good. I didn't make it bad. I didn't make it flawed. I made it good. And then he says, I'm going, the crown of creation, the best part of it all is not the birds or the fish or the animals. It's mankind. So let's create them in our image. That's what makes him unique. He reflects the glory of God because he's in the image of God. And he says, let me give you a purpose, a design. Unlike all the other animals, by nature, they glorify me. That is, they don't have a choice. It's instinct. It's it's put into their DNA. And man has a choice 
to reflect the glory or not reflect the glory of God. And, 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 and here's how he wants us to reflect the glory. Sometimes theologians call it the cultural mandate or the first great commission. He says, I want you to, to go forth and multiply and what? Subdue the earth, rule over the earth, not as my replacement, but as my representative. Kind of like a vice royal. We don't have those much anymore. But when they set up colonies, they put, a, uh, they put someone who represented the king. Not because he was king, but he represented the king. And that's where the human dignity comes from. Is that we are no mere mortals. We're kings and queens. That's what we were designed to be. And Adam and Eve together said, no, we don't, we don't want to be vice royals. We want to be royals. And so they rejected the design. They, they didn't want to reflect the glory. They wanted their own glory. And they wanted their own design for their own lives. And all man fell. He sought, he sought to be his own. And God said, okay. Well, let me tell you what happens as a result. Curse. Verse 12, so death spread to all men because all sin. That's Bible speak for what Adam did, we do. It's not just that we're all guilty because we're human beings. We're all guilty because we sin. That is, we're sinners, not because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We don't just do sin. Sin does us. It's a power at work in us. In verse in chapter 7, verse 17, Paul makes a, an incredible statement that we will look at. He will say, I, I do that which I do not want to do. It's not me, but sin in me. We'll look at what that means. But that, in this context, this is what he's getting at. That sin brings something. It brings death. Therefore, just as verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Verse 15, for if many died through one man's trespass. Verse 17, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned. Sin enters the world through Adam's act of rebellion. And the lasting effect is death. God could have said, I told you so. I told you back in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning, you can eat from every tree in the garden except for one, the knowledge of good and evil. And because on that day you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. It's not long in chapter 3 they do that very thing. God could have come in and said, I told you so. You're lost. But said, he says, curse has come upon not just mankind, not just the first parents, not just mankind, but the whole earth. Everyone and everything dies. Death rules this planet. People, places, and things all die. One of the great sorrows of my life is when a razor dies. We tend to think that only humans die. Everything dies. Everything it's the final act of disfigurement and decay that that which, which was original design it no longer fulfills. Because God is angry at death and decay because it has disfigured his world, his beautiful, beautiful, good creation. And he will not let it stand. 
Verse 16, for, for the judgment following one trespass brought what? Condemnation. Sin brought death and death brought judgment. Death is not part of the original design of this world. It is not your friend. It robs us of everything and everyone and every place. It's not part of some circle of life. I saw the movie, The Avengers Endgame, and instead of trying to give you the the end of that story, it's quite good, and you can find the Christ figure at the end, so you can look for it yourself. But the message of the movie is given by Thor's uh, mother. If you don't know who Thor was, he's one of Marvel's uh, superheroes. He's the one with the big hammer. Well, since the last Avengers movie, he's kind of depressed about life and how things work. He was defeated. He's never been defeated before. Anyway, he feels really bad about it. He's kind of gotten a little pudgy, overweight, drinking a lot of beer. And, and, and so he feels sorry for himself. So he goes back and sees his mother in the past because she has passed away. And so she has these words. So biblical. She says, everyone is a failure at who they should be. So biblical. You could, you could tack that right on to the end of Genesis 3. Everyone is a failure at who they ought to be. Now, the not good news, she follows that up with, well, then just be a success at who you are. That's so American. But what if you could be who you should be? What if you really could be what God has designed us to be? What if there was another end to our story other than condemnation? That's a reign of grace. Through one righteous act, a new reign begins to replace the reign of death. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. His life perfectly lived, fulfilling God's design for humankind. Another way that Jack Miller used to say it, he lived the life we should have lived. But not only his life, but his death became a propitiation for sin. Jack Miller used to say his death became our death. He died the death we should have died. But here's one to add. His resurrection is the first fruit, the leaning edge of the reign of grace. This new life, this new humanity, he ushers in from the cross. And through Christ, we are made right. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We can now return to the designer. We can all be what we should be because there's a new power at work in us. Now the power of sin that has been replaced by the power of grace at work in us. To be what we should be which Jesus Christ lived for us. Not as a way to justify ourselves, but simply because we are justified. You can live as you should be because you are justified, not as a way, a means to be justified. Obviously, we don't all see that. We don't see that in the world. We don't see that in our lives. We don't even see that in the church. Why? Because both reigns are at work in all of those places at the same time. Both reigns are present 
We have distortion and decay and death still at work in our lives and in our world. We saw that just just this past week in California where a young man, uh, John Ernest, walks into a synagogue and shoots the place up, killing people. What is so disturbing is that he has a manifesto that tells his reasons for what he did. And they're disturbing because they come out of some of the teaching that is in the Reformed camp. It's not true, but it is a distortion of our teaching. In fact, Paul recognizes it and gives three whole chapters to it in Romans that we will get to. But because I didn't want to separate this from chapters 9, 10, and 11, I have to deal with a little bit right now. He thought that somehow the Reformed people were teaching that Israel, because they have rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago, and they continue as a whole people to not see that he is the Christ, that what he did on the cross, then they must be discarded and replaced by the church of Jesus Christ. That's a distortion of what the Scriptures teach. Because Paul's going to clearly say, for a time... They reject Christ as the Messiah. But there's going to be another time where they do. They come to faith because they're the root and we are the branch. We were grafted into them. They were not grafted into the church. And you see that that poor theology has wreaked havoc in our country and in the lives of people. Because, what? The reign of death is still here. The leading edge of the reign of grace is here too. Where sin has increased, verse 21, grace abounds all the more. As sin reigned in death, verse 21, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Both reigns are at work presently. Do you know where you see the reign of grace? As we are on the leading edge of explaining how this event that happened in the past has present implications and future determination. As we explain to people in Poway where this terrible shooting, where's the hope? Where's the Christian hope in all of this? Is that grace is going to come in and, and bring whole and healing to all that is broken, all those broken lives. And they say, where's your evidence? And you say, I am exhibit number one. Grace begins its reign in the hearts of God's people, or you would not be God's people. You would not be justified if grace had not already come. And to the degree that you reflect the glory of God and to the degree that you live out the design, I live out the design that God has given humanity to be fruitful and fill the earth with believers and rule as his viceroys, taking care of it rather than abusing and destroying it and using it up. Rather than doing those things, but coming in and and showing that what the grace of the reign is through our lives collectively, and individually. Because the reign of death has an expiration date. 
death will be no more. Sting of death will be gone. The grave will have no victory. Because the ultimate isn't that we die and go to heaven. The ultimately is that everything is made new. And Jesus Christ was the first fruit of that in his own resurrection. I understand it looks like sin and death is winning. But those are temporary victories. Because ultimately, grace is advancing. Hear the good news this morning. More than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through him, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Present tense. In Christ, we are at peace with God. You know, the only application that Paul gives us in this long text, and he gives it to us three times, rejoice, rejoice, because you are at peace with God and you are ministers, ambassadors of that reign where grace has come to make all things new, beginning with us. Exhibit A. As we proclaim to this broken, fractured world that is decaying and dying before our very eyes, it will not stand. It will not win. The grave will not have victory. Death will not have its sting. Because... Our Lord reigns. And the nature of that reign is one of grace, not of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have taught us deeply. And sometimes we distort those truths for our own end, to do what we want to do, to not reflect your glory and our design. And we are sorry for that. And so we come to you as the new community of faith made up of both Jews and Gentiles, made of black and white, made up of men and women, made up of every tribe, people, and language. And here we are. We are the evidence before a watching world that we are new. We are a new people, a new humanity. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that You continue to do that work, advance that kingdom, bring grace. May grace rain down in Jesus' name. Amen.